0: In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, Jesus is teaching us this morning that we ought not be either materialists or spiritualists. We have this tendency in life to separate the material and the spiritual from one another, but Jesus does not. He reminds us a couple weeks ago in his temptation that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We don't live only by bread, and we don't live only by God's word. We live by both. That's what Jesus reminds us of. When Jesus taught us through his temptation with the devil that man does not live by bread alone, he's teaching us there primarily not to be spiritualists. That is, he's teaching us that we are created not just as spirits who happen to inhabit flesh and blood for a period of time, and then go off to something else, but rather that we are created as body and soul joined together and that intent is for eternity, that's what we get in the resurrection, that we are embodied spirits or spiritual bodies, whichever way you want to think about it. The temptation for us when we look at Jesus in the wilderness with the devil is to separate these two things, the spiritual and the physical and to make the spiritual then somehow more important than the physical. But lest we fall into the opposite ditch, which is materialism, we have this morning the examples of both the feeding of the people of Israel in the wilderness and the feeding of the 5,000 also in the wilderness. Now, when we look at our daily bread, we have all these things to support this body and life. We have all the physical gifts of creation. If you remember how Luther lays this out uh, in the small catechism with all the things that he lists with the fourth petition was meant by daily bread. He just includes all of these different things. It's not just uh, food and drink, clothing and shoes, house and home, uh, but we've also got things like good government and good weather and good friends and good neighbors, all these things, everything that contributes to us receiving the good gifts that the Lord has for us in creation. Now we have this temptation in life to believe that life consists only in those things, only in the gifts, that God is essentially the gifts themselves. This is this is always our temptation. There's this constant issue, in fact, in the scriptures that we see over and over, where the people of God are being drawn to worship the creature or the creation rather than the Lord who gives those things for our good use. They're constantly being pulled, and we should recognize that this is the temptation of the devil to do this, to worship the creature or the creation rather than the creator. That we worship what the Lord gives instead of the Lord who gives. And we have to recognize that just as we are tempted to spiritualize everything to the detriment of the physical, so too are we tempted, on the opposite side, to be materialists. And that is, in fact, perhaps maybe the biggest issue in our age. Uh, it doesn't seem that spiritualism is as much of an issue as it was maybe in the early church. Now, especially since the dawn of the Enlightenment, it seems that the bigger issue for us is that we have become materialists. And so we look, for example, this is maybe a, an easy way to see this, you look at your dinner plate, and you have the chicken that you got from Dylan's, and you've got the broccoli that you got from Walmart, and you've got the bread that you made in your bread machine, and you've got the herbs that you grew in your window herb garden. And you look at these things, and the temptation is to see that those things came from those places, ultimately, from Dylan's and Walmart and from your windowsill. And that this is, in fact, what life consists of, the fullness of it. These are the two competing temptations, and it seems a lot of times they're both there at the same time in some way, that uh, all the physical things of life, that that's what life consists of, and also that these things come to us primarily from the farmer or the grocer or from our own home or whatever it might be. But then we look at the feeding of the 5,000, we look at the Lord taking care of Israel in the wilderness, and we see something very different. We see the curtain being pulled back on what's actually happening, even when we look at our dinner plate. In both instances, we have the Lord who is caring for his people and doing what he's always been doing and what he will continue to do. We just get a glimpse into uh, the reality of that in a little fuller way. And this is, this is why, in fact, we honor grocers and farmers and all sorts of vocations in this life, uh, not because of the intrinsic goodness of those vocations, but because the Lord is the one who's given those vocations for the sake of providing us with daily bread. God is the one who gives uh, seed to the sower and bread to the eater and cattle to the rancher. The Lord is the one that's giving all these things, and he gives the vocations as well. And he's the one that gives... Uh, everything, all good gifts come from his hand, so that our bodies would be supported in this life. That's the entire reason for it. And the point here is that ultimately all these things, whether they came from Walmart or Dylan's or from your windowsill, they came ultimately from the hand of God. The temptation here in not believing or recognizing this, is then what it means to be a materialist. Now, there's two types of materialists. There, it, we should note this distinction, that there is materialists according to the seventh commandment, and those who uh, consider the material goods to be basically God themselves, that's why um, uh, they go out and they steal this sort of stuff, or why they treat these things as the highest good that they can have. Uh, that's, that's Seventh Commandment materialism. That's probably not the most common. Uh, in fact, the most common is more likely what we'd call first article materialism. And that is not recognizing that all stuff, if you remember, that's our technical term for everything in creation is stuff. All stuff comes from the hand of God. If it's created, it's from the hand of God. If we, if we have it for the support of this life, it's from the hand of God. And so in order to fight against this, we get a number of things, we get our text, but we ought not overlook the fact that we have this marvelous gift that the Lord gives to us of prayer. And so we sit down at the dinner table and we've got our chicken and our broccoli and our bread and our uh, homemade herbs. And instead of just digging in without any second thought, we close our eyes and we thank God for giving us these things. We're we're taught in the catechism uh, first to pray, Psalm 145. The eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. And then we pray the Lord's Prayer in which we pray this petition, give us this day our daily bread. And then when we finish, uh, this is probably the part that usually gets neglected the most. When we finish eating, uh, we offer thanks to God in, in the same sort of way. We're taught to pray Psalms 136 and 147. In which we say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their trust in his unfailing love. And then we pray again the Lord's Prayer with this petition, give us this day our daily bread. And even more than that, if you remember how Luther lays this out for us and encourages us, we begin our day with the Lord's Prayer, and we end our day with the Lord's Prayer, and then we pray it also any other time throughout the day that we desire or need, and always with this petition in it, give us this day our daily bread. And so we're constantly being reminded with these very words that our Lord has given us to pray, that all things come to us from the hand of God. You remember how Luther teaches this to us. God certainly gives daily bread to all people, even to all evil people, even with our prayer. But we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving, to realize that God's been doing it the whole time and that we're just realizing and recognizing the reality and saying thank you. The Israelites stood in the wilderness and desired the meat pots from Egypt. It didn't matter that they had been delivered from bondage and slavery to the Egyptians. It didn't matter that they'd been set free to serve and worship God. They thought that life consisted merely of food. And so they desired to be back in bondage so long as they could have the meat pots. And so the Lord, as he always does, takes care of them. And in this marvelous way, he causes, says bread to rain down from heaven. This is the manna. This is the, what is it? Uh, That, By the way, if you don't know, that's why it's called manna. Manna is the the Hebrew word for what is it, because they don't know. Neither do we, uh, other than it's some sort of bread that's flaky. In order to provide for the people of Israel, though, he causes bread to come down every day. Literally daily bread, except for on the sixth day, he gave twice as much so that they would be able to keep the law of the Lord and uh, not have to work on the day of worship and they would gather however much that they needed. And if they gathered too much, it would stink and grow worms, and it wouldn't be any good. There was this constant testing, you remember that's in the text, of the people of Israel to see if they would obey his command and promise, if they would trust God to provide for their daily need. Every day, for 40 years, every day, God sends bread in the morning and meat in the evening in order to provide for them, and he sends uh, water as well. But it wasn't just for 40 years. This this is the thing that we need to realize here. Well, it wasn't literally bread coming down from heaven and quail coming up in the evening. God had already been providing for the people of Israel their daily bread this, this entire time. And he would continue providing for them daily bread after their sojourn in the wilderness. The miracle is not that he feeds them their daily bread. The miracle is that he pulls back the curtain to show that he's been the one doing it the whole time, that he's still doing it, and that he will continue to do it. The Lord is faithful to his promise. We see this again in the gospel. Jesus is journeying out across the sea. There's this massive crowd that comes to him. Uh, The the other synoptics tell us that he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd, and there's this massive group... uh, Matthew notes uh, specifically that it's 5,000 men, not including women or children. So uh, we should probably put the minimum number of this crowd at 10,000. That's not at all unreasonable for the size of this crowd. Uh, And they, they don't have anything to eat. And so Jesus poses this question to Philip to test him to see if he recognizes who, in fact, is sitting next to him. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? The question that's being posed to Philip is, do you recognize that you are sitting next to God, the same God who has fed the people of Israel in the wilderness, who has fed his people throughout all of their years, who has been feeding you this whole time, who's fed all these people all the days of their lives and will make sure that they are fed? Well, Philip gives the wrong answer. He says 200 denarii would not be enough to buy food for all these people. 200 denarii, by the way, is approximately one year's worth of wage, if you would kind of work the math out. So he's saying even if we had a year's worth of salary, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have enough money to buy all this. Nevertheless, you don't have like a Costco or Sam's Club there to go and get enough bread. That's why he tells, the disciples urge them to go out into the various villages to, to be provided for. So he gives the wrong answer, but then Andrew chimes in and gives another wrong answer and says, Well, there's this boy here that has five loaves and two fish, but what's that? That's not even enough to feed the twelve apostles and Jesus. You should note that these are like little loaves. And the Greeks particular, uh, it's little fishies. Little fishies. Um so think like maybe a little bit bigger than like sardines or something like that. They're not, they're not like Big mouth, big mouth bass or anything like that. So Jesus has the people sit down and he does what he's been doing this whole time. He feeds them. The miracle, just like in the wilderness, is not that Jesus feeds the 5,000. The miracle is that he pulls the curtain back to show that he's been the one doing it the whole time that all of their food, their daily bread throughout their entire lives has been coming from Jesus to begin with. Now that the people are satisfied and they've had their fill, they're amazed at what Jesus has done, and so they come and they try and capture him and turn him into a king, into a bread king, Not the king of kings that he already is, not the king of the Jews, but instead a king that's going to overthrow Caesar, overthrow the Roman Empire, and let them just sit and eat bread to their full. But Jesus, while he delights to give you daily bread, and he does, that's not why he's come into the flesh. He's not there to be the king of your stomach. He's there to be the king of your life. He's not there to be crowned with a crown of bread. He's there to be crowned with a crown of thorns. Because Jesus will not just give you your daily bread. Jesus will also give you daily forgiveness. Because Jesus knows that you need both these things. That you need both the physical support and the spiritual support daily. We have these two problems We need the physical needs of our body to survive day to day. And so Jesus, in his mercy and according to his promise, takes care of us and he gives us our daily bread. We have our other problem that we need righteousness, that we need eternity, that we need salvation, that we need the forgiveness of our sins. So Jesus comes to us day by day and according to his promise, he gives us that as well. He provides for you your daily bread and your daily forgiveness. And that's why when Jesus teaches us to pray, he sits these two next to each other. Give us this day our daily bread. And as we pray, according to his promise, so he gives. And forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins. And as we pray, as he has promised, so he gives. So that you would be brought, so it would be strengthened and brought in both your body and your soul into the eternity of the life of the world that has no end. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.